What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go papertarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Car Stuff. I'm Scott Benjamin. And I'm Ben Bullen. Hey, Ben. We've got a, uh, a listener suggestion today for uh, for our topic, and this is really kind of exciting. It comes from um, a listener named Rudy Smith. Now, I'm going to say that we've mentioned Rudy Smith in the past. I know we have. That's true. Uh, because Rudy was the one who tipped me off to the microcar museum shutting down, the one that was here in uh, Bruce Weiner's microcar mm-hmm. museum in, yep. in Madison, I think it was. Down in Madison, Georgia. Yeah, and uh, gave me the tip like a few days beforehand. I made it there. But but he wrote in again and said, uh, Rudy said that um, he'd like to hear a little bit about, um, well, he wrote about a few things, but he also mentioned um, Ed Big Daddy Roth. Yes, the king of the rat finks. Yeah, and he, he specifically mentioned that he had a very unique style in uh, in the way that he created vehicles, he made he was a custom car maker, mm-hmm. and he created vehicles in a very unusual way that that no one else really does. I mean, it's it's completely his own style, and uh, that kind of got me interested. And I said, well, let's we'll, we'll dig into this. Yeah, I, I promise you, we'll get in, get into this, and we'll we'll definitely talk about his his methods. But there's a lot more to the Ed Big Daddy Roth story than just uh, just the custom cars, right? Yes, as we discovered in the course of our research. Uh, Ed Big Daddy Roth is one of those guys that you just can't quite put in a box. No. He wasn't just a custom car designer. He's also a cartoonist. He was also, he also did work with kids. I mean, this yep. is, this is a pretty fascinating guy. Um, so I'll just do a real quick bi- biographical note. Sure. Uh, he's born in Beverly Hills in 1932. He grows up speaking German, Scott, and it's not until he's in school that he starts learning English. Interesting. Yeah. And so, Ever since he was a kid, Ed was drawing pictures of uh, vehicles and monsters. Vehicles, monsters, and I think they said even airplanes and, yeah, yeah. and motorcycles and uh-huh. you know any, anything that he could, really, that was uh, mechanical, really. Mm-hmm. He really enjoyed that. But the monster thing, 
That kind of that is a weird fit to it all, doesn't it? But it but does. he makes it work later on, as we'll find out. Um, I have him down as you know that when we make our notes here, our show notes, uh-huh. we have to kind of uh, you know like do a quick summary of what we're going to be talking about, right? So yeah. I, so at the ha- top of my page here, I have all these things, and I, I realize that's how kind of how crazy this list is. I mean, he's an artist. Yep. He's a hot rodder. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's a member of what they call the custom culture with two K's, like Those K, are K custom, K custom K culture, exactly, which is very important. Yep. Um, he's a custom car builder. Um, it just he's he's really a unique guy, and he did a lot of, um, I guess what I'll call ordinary jobs too. Yeah, he's also an Air Force veteran. He's, yeah, he's a he's an Air Force veteran. He's a family man. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just a, he's a fascinating character this guy i mean he dealt a lot with outlaw biker gangs at some point yeah. in his life there's there's a lot to this guy so i'm glad that uh that rudy wanted us to talk about this because you know i didn't really dig into um the the big roths or the uh the big daddy story uh all that deeply until just well i'll, I'll be honest with like like two weeks ago until we were inspired by uh this wonderful suggestion so in 1951, Ed joins the Air Force. Uh, he goes to bombsite school. This is in Colorado. Uh, he learns to make maps. Uh, here's where we start getting to some of his fascinating side jobs. This guy really is kind of a renaissance man, Scott, because he, uh, he always had a, a heck of a work ethic. So while he's in the Air Force, he's also a barber on the side. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's in Africa, he's in South Carolina, then he's home, he's discharged honorably of course in 55 um he starts working sears at the display department and he starts pinstriping cars wait wait this guy works at sears for a time okay i don't think i had that in my notes but that's interesting he worked at at sears the department store Uh uh-huh in the display department okay all right that's interesting you know what if he's building displays i can understand that yeah if he's uh if he's like you know Dressing the the uh, mannequins in the front window, I don't get it, but uh, mm-hmm. I bet he was probably building displays if I had to, if I had to guess. So in '58, that makes sense. Yeah, in '58 though, he goes to work full time with the Baron. Uh, so he's using uh, junkyard parts. He's using fiberglass, which, if you recall, oh. is a brand new thing at this. Now that's kind of point. that's kind of interesting. That yeah. fiberglass is new. In the uh, in the mid '60s. Now, to, you know, for us, we've had that around our whole lives. I mean, right, of we grew up with it. Yeah, there's uh, there's boats and there's airplanes sure. and there's uh, you know cars, of course, and you know everything made out of fiberglass. So, yeah, uh, for this to be a new material, mm-hmm. uh, that had been kind of exciting for him because you know it, it kind of opens up his entire world if he's a if he's a, a custom car builder, right? Yeah, and so he starts building in his garage. His very first car is the little jewel. Yeah, now if you want to go back to that's the first car that he built. Now that if you he want to built, go, go back to his first car. His first car that he bought was in nineteen forty six. Yeah, and it Just, was a car from the thirties. Right? Yeah, it was a nineteen thirty three Ford Coupe. And uh, not that that really particularly plays into the story any other than that, you know, it was probably something that I'm sure he loved it dearly. I'm sure that it was something that, you know, had a lot of modifications to it. Uh-huh. I, I can't see him leaving that car alone. Did um, you see that photo of him? There's a there's a photo of him. <laughs> uh, I guess the correct way to say it on air without cursing is that he looks pleased as punch. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a lovely little car. It's a what it's a three window, I think. OK. All right. I, I don't know a whole lot about it other than that it was a 33 Ford. Mm. Um, so he, he's you know kind of enjoyed tinkering around with all these cars. He's got five kids at this point. Yeah. Um, so he's uh, he's a family man, and you said in the, the mid '50s, I think it was, was when um, he became he actually became this this character, this uh, this larger than life 
yeah. uh, character that uh-huh. you'll call that they call Ed Big Daddy Roth. Now, he had always been kind of interested in drawing and and cartooning, and he mm-hmm. was a like he did a lot of caricatures, and you know he mm-hmm. was always kind of tinkering around with that idea. And he was really a cartoonist from I think he even started when he was like twelve years old. Yeah, and he also this whole time he also had a concurrent interest in all things mechanical. Exactly. So he he has this. He finally gets up enough money to uh, to operate his own shop, or is mm-hmm. it the Baron shop? I don't know The which. Baron. Yeah. Okay, so he's operating this shop that's just out of Los Angeles, uh, right in the mid-50s, and you can imagine that that era is uh, it's, it's really critical in the formation of, like, you know, the hot rod, the custom car culture, you know, all mm-hmm. with Ks, like all I said. All with Ks again. Yeah, because, um, and, and when you see that K in custom car, know that that means, like, that's, the, that's like, the entirety of it. That's the whole hot rod... Um, the whole hot rod scene in it's California. It's an umbrella term. Exactly. And and the only way, I guess, maybe the best thing to say is, like, it's a Southern California started culture that's kind of spread, and it's still, to this day, happening, really. Yeah. Um, but that encompasses everything. That's, like, the uh, the vehicles. That's the way they dress. That's the music they listen to. Sure. It's the It's everything about them is, is this custom car culture that uh you know that that these people just love and i I think it's really cool i mean you'll see it a lot in like the rat rod scene and Mm -hmm. uh just the hot rod scene and all these different groups that come together now that normally wouldn't have in the past you know like these guys that they would call greasers at the time right you know that that's that's even today what you see is is part of what started back in the mid-1950s and and ed big daddy roth was a real real important key fi- he's a real important key figure in the the yeah. formation of all this i think it's fair to say he's a pioneer scott because we also have to keep in mind that um the vehicles he's building at this time especially his early ones um they're they're being built by a guy who let's face it has no certification as an engineer <laughs> no, that's you know right. what i mean that's right yeah now he's uh what's really this is this is pretty interesting because now I, I think we should just jump right ahead to the cars here. Let's go to the cars. Well, okay, okay. No, you know I'm going to back that up. Well, I'm going to tell you one thing that we need to, to say in, in the meantime. We had mentioned that he was an artist. We mentioned uh, that he likes. Now okay. this is we have to mention this only in passing right away, and then later it'll be even more important. But he he uses his artwork, you know, these characters that he's created, in order to fund his custom car building. So he's got to make, have some way to make money aside from his job at Sears or as a barber or whatever else he's doing at the time. He's got to have a way to fund what he does in his custom car shop. So, mm. you know, because it takes money to, to build a car. It's expensive. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's buying all these materials and he's doing it all himself. It's just he, he has to have money to, to, for the supplies. So he, he starts creating these characters and these, and these, uh, these wild scenarios. Like, mm. and, and people will recognize this right away. If, you, if I say the, you know, the words rat fink, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are going to know exactly what that is. If you don't know what it is, it's a, it's a kind of a, Oh, it's a deranged mouse, right? Really? I it's, mean, that's probably it's the a best rat. way to say it. It's, it's a rat. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's actually created because Ed had a dislike of Mickey Mouse, which yes. is so strange. I mean, it really is created from something that's, that's uh, you know, he, he did not like uh, Mickey Mouse at all. Now, now the character that he has now, Ratfink is like the main character in this gang of characters that he has. Right. He has a lot of different uh, different characters, and I'm sure I got the names here somewhere. Uh, yeah, they're uh, Ratfink, Dragnut, Mister Gasser, Mother's Worry. Okay, characters like that. Now, if you if you don't know the artwork, I mean, it's it's the uh, you know a hot rod that has usually a giant shifter sticking up out of it, and there's like a a big mouse that looks like he's all right. crazy. I mean, the mouse has like 
bulging bloodshot eyes. He has uh, great big yellow teeth. You know, he's got he's usually got a red T-shirt on with the big RF, and he's twitchy. He's that kind of twitchy. Yeah, he's drooling. He's just he's a uh, he's he's quite a character. He's really interesting. But that's mm-hmm. the character, and then uh, among others that you'll find driving these hot rods, and you'll see it on T-shirts. You'll see it in cartoons. You'll I'm see so it glad you said T-shirts. Posters. Um, why are you glad I said T-shirts? Because uh, selling T-shirts, uh, that was one of the things that really blew up for him. Uh, I actually, not to toot my own horn too much, but uh, you guys, uh, I have a Ratfink T-shirt. You do? Yeah. Oh, It, it wasn't mine originally. I got a lot of hand-me-downs. That's really cool. How I'm long have you had that? Cheap family. Uh, forever. Really? For, forever, yeah. Because, I mean, think about how old these shirts are. Sure. Like, I grew up with it. Sure. I, now, don't, I don't wear it anymore. I, I should have. Now, I know you're saying yours is old. Yeah. They do still make this. Stuff. They do still I mean, you make can them. Still get you can this we'll, still buy them. Yeah, and, we'll tell you in a minute where you can go to get that. But but let's also talk about. Um, we, the, we haven't gotten to the cars yet. Yeah, I was going to say before we get to the custom cars, let's get to the model cars. Oh yeah, okay. So you know we're talking like uh, mid '60s maybe. Yeah. And um, now this is kind of spin off of what he what he does in his shop, you know, because he does have, he does build these custom cars, which we'll talk about. I, I promise. But um, one of the big Plastic model car manufacturers, uh, Revel. Is that yeah, we've talked about Revel in an earlier podcast. Uh, Revel, a uh, big plastic car and model car kit maker, um, they decided that they wanted to put out some uh, models of t- a couple of a uh, couple of his, right? A couple yeah, of well, Ross works, a, a couple of his works, and cars and the monster characters. That's what's yeah. amazing. So they find like his artwork as well. As just as interesting as the cars, really. So it's another model. You could get the Ratfink car. You could get Ratfink himself. Now, now do you want to spring this on them about how much he made in 1963? Oh, my because gosh. this is a, a, a figure from, uh, from the, his website, from the Ed Roth website, the museum website. Um, there's a there's a pretty impressive figure on the royalties here, right? Well, yeah, and it, it would make me a little angry if I were in his position. So uh, he is uh, he is paid one sent one red penny for each model sold in 1963. Okay, stop right there. Now, I know that I've, uh, in in the past, we've said that I've done a lot of, like, plastic modeling in the 70s, yeah, yeah. 1970s. Uh-huh. That's when these kind of types of things were on the shelf all over the place. And I know they still probably are, if I had to guess. I haven't yeah, looked maybe recently. not as prevalent, but they're still I don't there. think so. But I know that I had some uh, some Ed Big Daddy Roth one models. One penny. That's ridiculous. It's I, his idea. I know. One penny for every single box that was sold. So let's say that um, how much did he make in 1930, 1963, Ben, from one penny per model? He made $32,000, Scott, in that year alone. That's incredible. So that means that just uh, in, in Revel sales... Mm-hmm. It was extremely popular because uh, that means that there were 3.2 million models sold that Ed Roth had something to do with, either the monster characters or mm-hmm. his cars. That's how popular this was in, in the mid-60s. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. 
because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It can also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time and range in lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. One penny, though. One pe- I'm still at, mad about at it. At one penny royalty, he made $32,000 in one year alone. And uh, another side note, of course, he didn't just do the model cars and the models. Uh, he also recorded some albums. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he had a he had a band, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. The band was called Mr. Gasser and the Weirdos. <laughs> now, Mr. Gasser is one of his characters, and he right. played. He was Mr. Gasser in the in the band, right? Right. And the Weirdos, the Weirdos were like his kind of like he said, the message behind all these models were. Or these uh, these albums, rather, were that it's okay to be kind of weird. It's okay to be kind of unusual or different. You know, that's yeah. it's okay to be a weirdo. It's cool. And a lot of songs about surfing and hot rods. Yeah, it's like this. You know, this this whole hot rod culture in the '60s, '50s. You can just picture all this mm. happening. And you know, the way that he was in his shop, and mm. and I mentioned that you know, outlaw gang members would bike members would uh, would show up and hang out and with hang them. out, but. The crazy thing is, like, policemen would show up and hang out with him. And so would just regular people. And so would celebrities. You know, he like, brought how, people together. Yeah, there would be, like, people from, you know, they would come off the Hollywood sound stages and come over and hang out with Big Daddy Ed Roth in his shop. And uh, it was just that kind of place. It was just, you know, everybody came together and they all, you know, appreciated what he was doing. And, and you know, we haven't talked about really what he was doing with the cars yet. Because let's get into it. He had so many cars. And I don't I don't want to list them here because I we, think we that, don't have time. We just don't. But there, I mean, there were a lot of them. I, I, how about just a couple? Let's I mean, do the highlights. All right. He had Little Jewel. He had uh, the Beatnik Bandit. Yeah, he had Secret Weapon, which was a pretty neat Rotar, one. Rotar. Uh-huh. Yellow uh, There's one called the Orbitron, which is really cool. And I think that was recently, like, rediscovered. I think that was the lost one. He's got the Roth Air Car, yeah. which looks like a Jetsons vehicle uh, with just, wheels. Just incredible. There's a lot of cars here. And, and all of these look... I'm, I'm sorry to roll over you, Scott. All of these are custom designs. So yeah. these are not, uh, by any means, 
variations on a theme. No. They're unique. Now, going back to, now, by unique, this is, I mean, you don't get any more unique than that. I mean, <laughs> they're all unique, of course, but the way that he built them, and this is what Rudy had mentioned in his email to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we said they're all unique, one-of-a-kind creations. He tried originally to use wooden frames. Now, this is in a shot. This is going all the way back again to where he first started making these cars. But he tried yeah. to use wooden frames, which was probably more conventional at the time. Sure. Um, you know, use the wood frame and then build on top of that. Because he's going to lay, his plan was to lay fiberglass on top of the wood frames. Um, but it just didn't work out. It was just too difficult for him in particular to work with. He said, you know, it just wasn't wasn't me. I wasn't a carpenter. Mm-hmm. So he went to the, uh, the lumber yard or wherever and decided that he was going to use um, casting plaster instead. And it was a lot cheaper than wood, which is probably, you know, great for him because, you know, he's making money selling T-shirts and stuff at, at car shows. So, you know, he's trying to trying to make ends meet and, and do this at the same time as a hobby. Yeah. Um, so he starts making these, these the body, the body mold, rather, out of plaster. And it was apparently, it was like the, the worst, sloppiest mess you could ever imagine. <laughs> it was just a terrible, terrible mess. And it's a really unusual way to do this. He was more like a sculptor, sculptor in yeah. that he would... He'd create this this form out of uh, out of out of plaster, you know. With the you know, he was forming it by hand, and he was sanding it down. And if he needed, I think one place it said if he needed to add something on, he would jam a coat hanger into it and then start building around that to make the mold for it. That's how off the cuff this was. It was yeah. just like that impromptu. And uh, I guess it just, I mean, just to give you an idea how messy it was, he never cleaned the floor during the the build process of one one car from one car to the next. So like mm. you know, he would build one car and then clean the floor. Um, they said that it would build up so deeply that, you know, tools were getting lost in the, mm-hmm. in the, uh, the debris that was down yeah. below it. Um, also that, I mean, here's how messy he was. He would throw away his clothes at the end of each day working on these cars. That's how <laughs> bad it was. And the shoes, they might last up to four days, but then he would have to paint them black just to bring them back to the way they looked before. So it's really, really sloppy process. Yeah. Um, and the plot, you know, of course there's sand and, or not sand, but rather, um, dust everywhere and there's fiberglass dust and everything. But he would then... He would then lay fiberglass on top of the uh, the plaster mold, and then wait for the whole thing to cure, and that takes a long time, you know. And right. he, he, you know, perfected this uh, this fiberglass process just on his own. He just self taught. Um, so he he d- he lays down this uh, the fiberglass, and then he would wait for it to, to cool or to, to cure rather, and then he would get up underneath it with a, uh, a rubber mallet. And knock all the plaster off from all the you know cracks and crevices yeah, yeah. in this thing. And on a lot of the uh, the Big Daddy cars, you'll find that uh, in some places, some real tight places, uh, that plaster is still still exists. It's still tucked up in there. So if you were to get underneath a a current Ed Big Daddy Roth mm-hmm. model in some museum somewhere, sure, you might be able to you know get in there with a mirror or something and see some uh, some of the original plaster from where he created the mold. And I have a quotation here that comes to us via the author Tom Wolfe who quotes Roth as saying, Detroit is beginning to understand that there are just a hell of a lot of these bad kids in the United States, and they are growing up, and they want a better car. They don't want an old man's car. These bad kids, is that what he said? Yeah, and look. This is the Hot Riders, right? The, uh, oh my gosh. Yeah, and now look, let's also, I want to emphasize this, because I know, based on some of the feedback we got when we did our Art Cars episode, that some people, um, some people might think, well, yeah, these look good, but they're 
pieces of art. They're not actual cars. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, in this case, at least, it's not true because Ed Big Daddy Roth drove all the way to Alaska from his garage in something called the Globe Hopper. And it's uh, it's fashioned to resemble a 34 Ford Roadster, he 1934. Drove, he drove to Alaska he drove in to that Alaska. Car. It's a working vehicle. Now, that's a tough drive. That's a long, long way on some desolate roads and Plus, some rough roads. the vast majority of his vehicles are open canopy. Oh, that's true, yeah. The most of them, and some of them are even three wheels. There were, there were four-wheel designs and there were three-wheel designs uh-huh. that he did because he was a biker as well. Um, so a lot of them have the, this, uh, this three-wheel design, which is really kind of cool looking. Some of them are really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so there's a, there's a lot happening. Um, now, in, in the mid-60s also, in 1968, there was a Hot Wheels version of the Beatnik Bandit that was released. Yes. Um, and by 1970, now, remember we said he did a lot of jobs? Uh, right. This guy, he's, uh, he was working at a place called uh, Brucker's Movie World uh, at the Cars of the Stars exhibit there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the owner of the place said that, you know, he was, he was a really good employee, of course. You know, he's, everybody says this about him. He's a great employee, good work, work ethic. He was really laid back. Um, real, real hard worker, but they also said that he could fight extremely well, and he was fearless. They said that if anybody was doing anything wrong, he went right up to them and told them exactly what they were doing wrong and yeah. why and what was going to happen to them. And uh, and I think an occasion, you know, it, ha- it must it, for him to know the owner of this place to know that he fights really well. And there were some altercations. There had to have been something that happened. But I mean, he's a big, tough-looking guy if you look at him in, in these uh, in these photos of him. Yeah, he's no milk toast. That's for no, sure. definitely not. And then later in the 1970s, he worked at Knott's Berry Farms, um, and he was a sign painter and an artist. And you know, all this, everything Ben that this guy did was all to make money so that he could pursue his real passion, which was these custom cars and these custom bikes, and mm-hmm. you know, just the, everything else that he did, the the pinstriping and all that was just to make money so that he could build these cars of his dreams, really. And there's such creativity and innovation from just from an engineering perspective, especially when you consider that this guy's largely self-taught in the automotive world. Uh, just two examples. Um, he has one car uh, called the Rotar. Uh, that's short for the Roth Air Car. Uh, it's powered by two Triumph mot- motorcycle engines. It only weighs 750 pounds. Um this uh that's interesting that isn't that interesting that is interesting here's yeah. another one the road agent which was some of the coolest slang i learned in the research for this podcast yeah. uh road agent i don't know if you knew this was slang for a bounty hunter or a hitman oh, i didn't know it's called a road agent i had no idea so watch out if you have someone refer to a road agent <laughs> but uh this vehicle um was a mid-engine bubble top roadster uh it was powered by check this a corvair flat six Oh no, kidding! We yeah. just talked about Corvair recently, so that's synchronicity, uh, my yeah, friend. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, so all right, what's next? All right, well, I mean, I guess uh, you know we've kind of gone to the end here. I mean, there's a lot of cars, and they show up in, they still show up in autoramas and things like that. Uh-huh. You know, that, that As does around. his artwork. Yeah, artwork. Oh, artwork is huge. People collect his artwork originals, and uh, you know the museum that they have is uh, that we want to talk about in just a minute is. Yeah. Um, that's collecting some of the original artwork, and mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of stuff that you can still buy if you go to his website. There's just a there's a Ratfink website, and you can still buy you know keychains and T-shirts and posters and you know whatever you want. Anything with the Ratfink um, logo on it or any of his other uh, you know uh, weirdos artwork. Mm-hmm. You know the uh, he he the, the I guess the monsters in hot rods is what his uh, art form was, and that's what, that's what he worked his whole life to perfect, and that's that's I think he did it. And yeah, I think he did too. I mean, it's an it's an icon. You can measure uh, his effectiveness in or his influence uh, just by seeing 
other people who kind of descended, like Von Dutch, for instance. Exactly. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are, are kind of related to this whole custom car culture scene. And uh, Von Dutch was one. Now, that's uh, not the uh, T-shirts that we talked about before. But it is <laughs> that is a spinoff. That's a clothing brand that came about in 1999. However, uh, the real Von Dutch, who his name was uh, Kenny Howard, mm-hmm. um, he was an artist, uh, pinstriper also. He died in 1992. So it wasn't until seven years afterwards that this whole clothing line thing came about. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, Robert Williams is another one. Um, he's a cartoonist. And I had a Robert Williams poster hanging on my wall all of my high school years. Um, if you search Robert Williams Hot Rod Race, you'll find out the, you'll find the exact one that I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother somehow commandeered that. Um, <laughs> uh, there's also Indian Larry. Who was, yes. uh, he was a big influence on him. Um, now, he, he actually built a, uh, a bike that was dedicated to Ed Roth. Uh, tribute bike, uh, which is called the Daddy-O, or the Rat Fink, in mm-hmm. parentheses. Um, Indian Larry, that's a fascinating character, too, by the way. We should talk about him someday. Um, and then there's also um, a documentary about uh, about Big Daddy Ed Roth, and it's called Tales of the Rat Fink. And we recommend it. Uh, we do, yes. And it's uh, it was John Goodman, who's the narrator of this thing, and he plays Ed Roth kind of looking down from heaven, I guess, and, mm-hmm. and narrating you know the stories of his life. Uh, but it's really it's a it's kind of like a biography or a, a culture commentary piece is what they the way they describe it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's an interesting. I think that's an interesting documentary. I I, I want to see it. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Now there's a. Uh, I guess we've already kind of let the cat out of the bag here. Now Ed, Big Daddy Roth is no longer with us. Yes, unfortunately, um, Mr. Roth passed away in April of two thousand and one. Um, uh, with a well-lived life, he mm-hmm. was 69, um, and he was still doing his uh, his lifelong passion, which was working in his shop. You know what, Ben? I it was a shock to me that he was born in 1932, and I don't know why. Maybe because of all the photos that I see of him uh, are from the 1950s, mm-hmm. and I just assume that you know, with the car culture thing that he's involved with, that you know, these are more modern photos that people have been oh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. posting and everything. But a lot of these are from the 50s and 60s. And I was thinking these are these are recent photos, but they're not. You know, he was at by the time he passed away, he was sixty nine years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so he did live a, a, a nice long long life. Not mm-hmm. you know, it should have been longer, That's by yeah. all means. But uh, but I hadn't just really nineteen thirty two. Uh, that took me by surprise. Um, but, but there is something that uh, that kind of carries on his name. Now his wife, his his widow, mm-hmm. um, has opened up a uh, a Big Daddy Roth museum. Which is really in addition to their home in uh, where is it? It's in Utah. Yeah, and you can uh, in this museum you'll be able to see uh, original art, as we had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I did not know this originally, Scott, but uh, the Ratfink artwork, especially, is um, tremendously valuable to people who put a price on it. It is. I mean, the original artwork is extremely valuable. Now, the cars, of course, they're they're out of this world expensive. They're very, very valuable. <laughs> right. And uh, in honestly, one of the best places you'll get a chance to take a look at these is the be like museum. The museum, or the I don't know. Do they have a car at the museum? I'm not sure if they do or not. Just okay. artwork, but they may. The uh, the Autorama was what I was going to say. Ah, yes. Um, Autorama, call. and sometimes you'll see several of the of these of his creations touring together. Um, it, it's not unheard of. It happens, but uh, you know, you may see them. And like I said, there was that one, the Orbitron, that was relatively recently found. But uh-huh. a lot of write ups in Carcraft magazines and you know the Hot Rod magazines, things like that. Uh, but there's also in that town in uh, Manti, Utah. Uh-huh. Uh, there's also an annual Big Daddy. Big Daddy Parade, 
Um, you know, there's, there's the documentary, the shot, there's, there's books about him, Mm -hmm. uh, which is what Rudy had mentioned in his email to me that, you know, you might want to check out this process for this car making. It was so unusual. Um, and so unique that, uh, you know, it, it was worth taking a look at. That's for sure. But, um, this guy, he had, he had a very, uh, full and interesting life. Yes. And his, uh, work continues. His legacy continues. That's one of the, um, I think that's one of the most amazing things, and it has it, this has influenced uh, so many people that it's tough to believe it. Now, speaking of uh, influencing people, we've got a little bit of listener mail. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet, and also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without painful finger sticks. So you can always know which way your glucose is headed. An arrow shows you where you're heading, up, down, or steady. It could also alert you before you go too low or when you're going too high. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM available, you can make better diabetes decisions about food, medication, and activity in the moment. And all those little decisions can lead to big results. Results you can see like more time in range and lower A1C. With Dexcom G7, you can manage your diabetes with confidence. Get started with the number one recommended CGM brand by doctors and patients at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. And to uh, let you guys know how much we love feedback, we're going to do a little bit of listener mail. Okay, Scott, this is going to be, I'm going to call this one uh, new for our listeners, or all but one of them, and old news for you. Okay. You remember Jerome? I do. Now, Jerome. Jerome's a trucker, right? Yeah. An over-the-road trucker. Yes, sir. Uh, Jerome is a trucker who wrote to us about vehicle collision safety systems. Yes, yes. And, and a specific problem he was having with uh, with one of his systems, right? Right. Apparently, that this uh, this system can be a little bit tough here because um, the collision system 
might slow his truck down by 10 to 20 miles per hour in one second. Now listen, I, I think this is super important that we're reading this on, on air because when I read this, I, I think my eyes must have opened up you know, super wide at this point. Because that's I had, frightening. This is scary. This, I mean, just be aware of this. And this is the reason. I mean, I'll be right up front with you. This is the reason they tell you don't follow trucks too closely. Give them a lot of space on the, on the highways or freeways. This is one, even one more reason, I should say. Not only yeah. have we learned that you know it takes twice the distance and twice the time for them to stop, mm-hmm. but then there's also this complication, which is the system. Yeah, that's the a, CSS, Collision Safety System. It's a, it's a radar system at the front of the truck that tells them when they're getting too close to an object if, or you know, if they're following too closely or whatever. Mm-hmm. The problem is he's finding that his system, sometimes when he goes under a bridge or if he's passing a vehicle, so he's in another lane passing a vehicle, his truck can slow down 10 to 20 miles per hour in one second. Now, for someone following too closely, that's mm-hmm. catastrophic. That's uh, that's bad news. Yeah, so here's here's one thing he says. Now, Scott, you and Jerome have corresponded for a number of emails, right? Yes, yes. So I'm just going to read part of one of the second emails he wrote to you. He said, generally, the CSS seems to work as described. Its dashboard display shows if it sees a vehicle, how far it is, how fast it's traveling. This is kind of cool to be driving and have someone pass you and be able to say, hey, he's speeding by 15 miles per hour. And if I'm passing someone with more than three feet of clearance, it doesn't display any sort of warning. But hang on. Uh... Here he goes and says this part. These sudden hard brake events only seem to occur when driving under a metal bridge that is at just the right angle or when passing another truck that's pulling something other than a dry van. But not usually, and it's nearly impossible to duplicate. However, there is one bridge just north of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, that does it frequently. To me, the problem doesn't appear to be alignment, but seems to be either buggy software misinterpreting radar backscatter or a hardware design flaw. Um, I haven't discussed it, he says, with the company that makes it, which yeah. you guys talked about. Yeah. But I have talked to company maintenance staff several times. I've received replies that range from, it doesn't do that, to, it's 90% accurate, to, it no, will. No, 99%. 99, excuse me, thank you. 99% accurate, to, it will happen occasionally, it's normal. So I've mostly given up on trying to get it resolved. Okay, here's what I've replied. Now, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, and this is going to be quick. We'll wrap it up here. We'll wrap it up. We had this whole conversation, and it really yeah. is specific to him, but... Um, I just wanted people to be aware, mostly, first of all, that you know this can happen. So please give them lots of room on the highway. That's I mean, we we've always said that in the past, it's huge. but but now that I know this, I'm not going to follow a truck that's passing another vehicle or going under a bridge all that closely now, knowing that suddenly it could it could break dramatically, like quickly, and uh, and I won't be able to react in time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so give it a, even more room than you normally would. The other thing is that for them to say that it's, and I, I told him this, you know, and I, I don't mean, oh, to, be, I don't mean to be an instigator here, but right. I have to be. I mean, he, he's saying like, well, they tell me 99% of the time, but that means out of every 100 decisions you make, one time this thing is going to make a decision for you that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. And it, the, or the, out of every 100 that it makes, it's going to make one. Anyways. In this case, I think 99% accurate just simply isn't good enough in this case. And and for them to say, like, well, you know, we've got it there, I think it needs to be 100%. And I, I hope that he pushes on and says, you know, like, we need to refine this thing with the manufacturer and get it together so that, you know, it, it doesn't do this 1% of the time. Uh, because I really do feel like this is a, it's like a public safety issue. Yeah, and we just want to, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are driving trucks, who are truckers, 
And we just want to take a second uh, to thank the truckers in our audience for listening um, and to let you guys know that we, we want to hear more about this sort of stuff so that we can get the word out on our show. Yeah, it's a tough job. It's a tough job. And also, to anybody who doesn't drive a truck, uh, just so you know, a great deal of every trucker's day is trying to drive safely around some people who are going kind of nuts in the it's, cars. It's trying to avoid us four-wheelers on the road, you know. It really is. Yeah, the 18-wheelers have a tough time avoiding the four-wheelers. So, so please, you know, just honestly, it sounds like a broken record, but just give them so much more space than you would even think that they need. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, you know, the, the uh, double time, double space, double all that, but then yeah. also things like this that, you know, we just don't... I had no idea until earlier this week that that was going on so um i don't know it's it's i just something we we thought we'd mention today because it was important yeah and especially if you're driving one of big daddy roth's cars be extra special uh careful excuse me be extra extra careful because it would be a crime both an art crime and an automotive uh, crime Ben, these are trailer cars these are, <laughs> these are going to and from a show what are they trailer covered. trailer queens uh, trailer sure, divas they, uh, they have to be in fact you know they probably rolled out for parades and things like that yeah probably speaking of rolling out we're going to go ahead and mosey on out of our studio back to hsw proper uh thanks so much for listening everybody give us a holler on car stuff drop us a line on twitter with some ideas for upcoming topics um stories anything you want really except for limericks because scott apparently hates them. no and you know what i'm gonna say go to the ratfink website too because uh there's so much more of the big daddy roth story than we were even able to cover here yeah and he's a he's a really interesting guy I think you'd find a lot of information there that, that we just didn't have time to get to, so so give it a look. As always, let us know what you think. Our email is carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts.